This short code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the short code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Code Podcast. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just applying a look of gravitas to <laughs> towards Elizabeth. <laughs> a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. And while you might think me think of me as the man who makes this show go of greater impact are my co-hosts. Say hi, Gabriel Conley. I'm of no impact, but hey Dave. Uh, issue a hearty greeting, Patrick Brow. Oh, hi. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Proclaim your welcome, Elizabeth Shirazi. Hello. And I wrote nothing for you, Derek. <laughs> uh, Derek <laughs> Bradley. Brad Shaw. Brad, Brad, Bradness. I'm suddenly blanking on your last name. I'm sorry, dude. Bradley, it's all right. Oh, I did get Bradley. <laughs> yeah. Bradness? Brad. Where did you even get that? I have these moments of doubt. <laughs> That's one of the better ones I've ever heard of someone messing up my name. <laughs> Bradness. Now you won't Bradness. forget. Correct. I, I messed it up correctly. I'm glad you're here today because uh, no one should have to hear me stumble my way through podcasting on my own. So it's very nice of you. This week, Clarissa. Uh, I'm sorry. This week, Chrissa who is kind enough to provide pronunciation of her name, <laughs> but which is Chrissa. <laughs> so Still got it wrong. But I appreciate no, that because no. she knows. She knows who I, who I am at heart. She sent a question to the shortcoats at gmail.com. Uh, Chrissa will be applying to med school next year and is currently studying Ayurvedic health, Ayurvedic medicine. Oh. She, yeah. What, what is that? Is. that? I don't know. Well, I'm about to, oh, t- okay. I'm about <gasps> to tell you. Ayurvedic medicine... Uh, she says it's the predominant healing modality in India uses uh, diet, herbal remedies, exercise, meditation, breathing, physical therapy to promote uh, health and prevention of disease. So, so let's hear from Krissa. I believe that these practices are essential to preventative health care, and I am hoping to integrate these within my practice as a physician. Despite its recognition by many providers and evidence-based studies provided for complementary therapies, there is still a stigma within our medical system that lumps all types of complementary alternative medicine practices into the realm of quackery, which I believe severely stunts our progression of medicine. I would love to hear a discussion about complementary alternative medicine. Obviously, this is a field of medicine which is fairly new to our society. However, I believe will soon be an integral part of our conventional practice. I would also like to hear your opinion on disclosing this program I am embarking on. Should I let medical schools know I have done this program? Mm. It's a good question. It's a good question. It's a fair question. Um, so, are you guys learning anything in general about complementary and alternative medicine? Or is it just like, yeah, there's this other thing that people do? I can say as, as an M1, we d- we've had a couple lectures this year about um, like massage therapy and some things that I would probably classify as alternative medicine. Uh, what else was it? Massage medicine. Didn't we, didn't we watch a video as M1s about acupuncture too yeah. with the soldiers? I haven't done. Oh, yes. Yeah. Acupuncture. Yep. Yeah, with the soldier. Yep. Yeah, that was the thing. 
What was the video with the acupuncture with the soldier? It, it was, was a wave. Sounds relieving. like it was super memorable was for it? David. Well, was it, it was for pain meds. They were talking yeah. about how yeah. a lot of people come back and they are hooked on their pain meds because they're just in so much pain and yeah. obviously a lot of PTSD and stuff going on and how they're trying to find alternative methods to deal with pain, especially in transport back over to the U.S. if they're hurt. And so it was just a video about, I think, acupuncture to combat that. And it... I mean, the video could have been biased, but it right. did look like it was working for some people. Personal narrative-wise, people people were saying it was effective. <laughs> so you mean like... Like the people in the documentary were very... Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Pro. Okay. Um, you know, I, 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 I showed uh, Chris's question to uh, other co-hosts as well. John Pianta pointed out that our own Dr. Nisley of the Department of Internal Medicine runs a complementary and alternative medicine clinic. And um, here's what she has to say about CAM. We'll just call it CAM because we like our acronyms. I'm that physician that you go to sort of your home base, so to speak, that follows you for many years, that knows your whole family. So I'm I'm that physician. That's what I, I love to do. And actually, my patients inspired me to create the complementary and holistic medicine clinic. And I realized that academic medicine should be a place to explore all forms of healing. Holistic medicine involves a number of healing techniques from supplements and herbs to diets to mind-body techniques like yoga, tai chi, to hands-on techniques like massage therapy, foot massage called reflexology, to some very ancient techniques like acupuncture, which is part of traditional Chinese medicine, or um, transcendental meditation. And I really felt that holistic medicine empowers my patients. It helps them to bring diversity, to bring a healing in many forms besides you know what we do, and allows the patients to especially be empowered. If my colleagues, my young colleagues that will be the future generation know that what their patients believe in, the way they eat, their spirituality, all of that can be part of their healing and they can engage the patient and have a very motivated participant in their healthcare. I think that would be something that I think would be a tremendous gift for that patient-physician relationship. So it sounds like she's uh, speaking of it as a way of encouraging patients to who, who uh, feel that these things are effective to be more engaged in their treatment and to sort of bridge that divide between scientific medicine, well, between me- medicine as practiced in the West and then these alternative right. medical systems. I, I think one, one of the hallmarks of physicians is that we rely almost religiously on evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not, we'll, a, a good physician, I don't think, would ever recommend something that doesn't have statistical evidence to back it up. And I think a lot of older physicians especially have seen like fads come and go that people have thought are really effective and we later saw weren't effective. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're probably especially skeptical of endorsing things that haven't been backed up by numerous studies. And I, and I think that's a good quality, honestly, of, um, of physicians here in the West because we want, we want to see evidence. I mean, I would 
I would argue that like some of these things have seen like documented evidence. Like we talked about acupuncture. Right, exactly. I've seen some studies, and there there is varying results for some of these things. But like there are studies that would po- like point in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. I think you definitely hit on a point with the fads. Because, like, whenever I hear, like, herbal remedies, my mind immediately turns to certain individuals in the media who, Dr. Oz, who would advocate for certain herbal remedies mm-hmm. for every disease under the sun, which turns out to be complete and total quackery. Right. Which then kind of discredits, like, herbal, herbal remedies. Wow. Excuse me. Edit that. <laughs> herbal remedies, um, by, lar- by and large, which kind of creates conflict between what is what we see as alternative medicine versus what is contemporary western medicine right but i think too if a patient finds something that's really working for them as long as you're using it to complement western you might say techniques Mm -hmm. and as long as it's not hurting the patient if they find something that's really working for them i don't think it's like a harm to encourage that and encourage Mm -hmm. them to take control of the part of their disease that mm-hmm. they can with alternative methods right i was going to say that um well you know mark mubarak uh said that he you know as far getting back to the her question as to whether or not um she should disclose this interest to medical schools mark basically said you know it's all in how you package these things you know like you can there are lots of things that you can for lack of a better word get away with saying to you know admissions committees or on admissions as long as you put it in the proper way yes she's right uh people are um biased potentially biased against um these practices but you know if you put it as uh, dr nicely does um you know as long i I guess as long as you don't come off as trippy dippy hippie about it and well and i mean i think there's a difference between saying okay i've i've gone to school and i've learned these alternative techniques and i'm not going to use them instead of the medicine that i'm about to learn in medical school Mm -hmm. but i'm going to use them to complement and you know add to the evidence-based practices that we set as the standard of care for patients right not to mention advocating for like diversity of ideas yeah, that would be a great background, I think, to bring mm-hmm. to a medical school class to have these other opinions and, and practices. Right. We um, we actually did a show a uh, long time ago, um, way back episode 28, with a doctor uh, by the name of Hendry Tan. He's medical director of the Transcultural Wellness Center and director of education at UC Davis. Uh, School of Medicine Center for Reducing Health Disparities. That is a long, <laughs> got two lines for my title. <laughs> titles there, but he, um, you know, he, he has good info on why it's a good idea to incorporate such ideas into treating patients for some of the things that we've talked about. Um, so, um, a- Amy Young points out that some physicians use these concepts to practice uh, functional medicine, which I was a term I wasn't familiar with. Do you guys know what functional medicine is, refers to? So, nerd. I mean, I, I, I looked it up. Derek's one contribution so nerd. far has been nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, glad you, there. I'm glad you joined us at the last minute today, Derek. Appreciate that. Um, so functional medicine apparently seeks to treat uh, not just diseases, but the whole patient by addressing things like nutrition, diet, and exercise to prevent chronic diseases. So, Makes sense. Makes sense, right? right? Um, 
But uh, Mark, um, in particular, cautions that um, Dr. Nisley has a very strong CV backing up her her um, her work. And so, you know, if you come in, Krissa, saying, you know, I want to do Ayurvedic medicine in my practice in the future, um, you, you at this point don't yet perhaps have the credibility to right. to be able to you know make any strong claims about its benefits or whatever so you know be pretty balanced i would say about how you put this to admissions committees and and schools that probably would be the best thing yeah, yeah. one thing i just noticed what was the definition of functional medicine again that you read I, I've lost it already. It's gone. It's like um, a function like seeks to treat not just diseases, but the whole patient by addressing things like nutrition, diet, and exercise to prevent chronic diseases. Right. So like, why is go. that called functional medicine and not just medicine? Yeah, that exactly. does blow my mind. That I exercise. wonder if that has to do with like how we just want to like silo like different ideas and like give them different titles so then we can i mean this is tinfoil hat theory going on but like <laughs> you know maybe like so then we don't like within what is accepted medicine can say well that's functional medicine and we don't want that in our practice or whatever well, i was thinking that maybe it was be, and i could be wrong maybe it was you know uh medicine my perception of traditional or western uh, uh, yeah western medicine is that it's all about disease it's mm -hmm. all about treating disease and, and that our newfound our, our focus on um chronic illnesses and prevention is sort of new-ish within the last like century and a half anyway because it used to be like most of us would die oh, okay. century and a half <laughs> well Don't it's be very recent the last century and a half <laughs> well what was it like uh oh crap i want to give you a date but it was like when uh the hygienic theory and all that stuff was like Yes. It wasn't the miasma or whatever, but like actual like microbacteria was causing disease. Like that, that's not you know a new oh, idea. What's his name in the water pump? John Snow. John Snow in the water pump. Yeah, um, you'll have a whole mass lecture about it, like yeah. a full hour on John Snow. I had like a whole pump. like few weeks on it when I took like uh, epidemiology class in public health. But anyway, what I was getting to was back like in the 19, let's no. say like 1920s, a lot of people were dying from diphtheria or something like other Cholera, infectious diseases. Yeah that would largely limit lifespan to <laughs> calm down elizabeth jeez elizabeth <laughs> elizabeth just totally pulled her microphone i don't know what i said to anger oh. she's <laughs> mad Table. um like, oh my god but now because most people are living into their 70s and 80s a lot of those chronic diseases are very prevalent and right to really so, expensive treatment yeah right i don't like the idea of uh anyone pitting something like diet exercise and nutrition against uh physicians in the west because yeah you know that's i feel like that's sort of a way for people who are into sort of the more alternative stuff to kind of be like well we're really focused on this whereas they're not focused on on that but in reality i mean clearly we know that diet exercise and nutrition are important for maintaining health. i think and our yet yeah as i was say but i think a lot yet. of our interventions focus more on like the pharmaceutical aspect of right. it and like we know that patients are generally not very mm -hmm. good i mean it when they're unhealthy they're typically unhealthy for lifestyle reasons right and it's hard for them to change behavior like that that's been ingrained so yeah. pharmaceuticals they tend to prefer those too you know i love my doritos and mountain dew absolutely never take that away absolutely from me. <laughs> so give me some what's that lysinopril 
for uh, <laughs> keeping my blood pressure down. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Krissa, I hope we've helped. Um, maybe we'll, I think I'm going to act ask uh dr nicely to be on the show at some point in the future yeah. if she if she has time she's, she's really cool I, that's what i hear mark um mubarak said that it was one of the best electives he's taken oh wow um to over at the cam clinic does she also run the lgbtq she clinic does. as well mm. she does yeah she talked to us one time and yeah. it was a really great conversation yeah so we'll we'll try to get her on the show we'll see what happens no promises but uh she sounds she she sounds like a really interesting and cool person. Ampicillin. Amp. Yeah. Ampicillin discovered in 1958 and commercialized as the first broad spectrum antibiotic in 1961. But in the latter half of 1962, doctors encountered an outbreak of ampicillin resistant salmonella, uh, called uh, serotype typh- typhimurium typhimurium in the uk right real easy to say yeah mm. this is 1962 already ampicillin was uh creating i mean there were there were resistant strains of ampicillin That's out there insane. um and even though the discoverer of penicillin alexander fleming predicted today's widespread antibiotic res- antibiotic resistance and warned of it four years after the first trials what he didn't know is that some bacteria would be able to resist antibiotics before they were even available to the doctors to prescribe. So this is kind of interesting, I thought. Uh, A study in Lancet Infectious Diseases recently has found that 288 bacteria isolated between 1911 and 1969 from 31 countries showed salmonella had already developed a resistance to ampicillin even before doctors started prescribing it in the 1960s. Uh, Of those... There were 35 that were resistant to at least one type of antibiotic, and of those, 11 were resistant to ampicillin, and all of those were resistant to penicillin G. So that's <gasps> a lot of things I just threw out. Yeah, right? I need a diagram to follow that. But, yeah. but basically, you know, what it means is that, um, as I've already said, the ampicillin, was, the, <clears throat> these types of bacteria are already resistant to ampicillin, um, and the speculation is that this resulted from farmers using low-dose penicillin G, uh, which is a drug related to ampicillin, in pigs and poultry to enhance oh. their growth and prevent infections. This um, was back in the 60s? Back in 1961. Okay, um, wow. In 1962 was when they discovered there were ampicillin-resistant isolates. And was it like getting onto the field through like pig feces or... Well, the theory is that they were, that they were, you know, they were being fed to the pigs, yeah. but they were also just getting into the environment, um, mm-hmm. or, you know, around the farms and in the water supply and in the in the feed and all that kind of stuff. I found it interesting that three of the ampicillin resistant isolates that were archived before ampicillin, ampicillin was released in 1961 had a common resistance gene, but two from Tunisia had their genes located on a different area of the genome than one isolated in France. So there were several different strains being created at the time that were resistant to ampicillin. And um, researchers say this means that different bacterial populations of the same serotype were, you know, acquiring this resistance at the same time, even though the drug hadn't been used at yet. So we're kind of screwed i was wondering what the take-home point of this was <laughs> yeah, i know was too, i was actually. like there's a lot of facts being <laughs> yeah. dropped and i'm waiting for the big one and basically we're boned we're boned uh we're we're looking at a future of 
it seems like we're looking at a future of you know basically diseases that we can't superbugs treat anymore um and we've talked about it on the show a little bit before but um stories like this scare me it's gonna be the zombie virus that gets us first so yeah I hope so. I'd like to <laughs> go out with a bang. Go, yeah. I want to go out and and be terrifying at the same time. <laughs> Society's just gonna degrade to like Mad Max style, and we're gonna be fighting off zombies. Yeah, what important was, things. I'm trying to, say. to think of that statistic that we got in class because we're learning about like antibiotic stewardship yeah. and like like when you should culture things before you just treat with broad spectrum and stuff like that. Like and it was like for every four days that you're on antibiotics, you have like. Or maybe it's like a hundred percent chance of having some resistant type of strep pneumo or something like I don't remember. I wish I remembered right. the actual fact, but it is insane how fast that they can acquire these mutations and this resistance. Mm-hmm. I also find it interesting with how we're taught in medical school. So we have a big chunk of our classes are evidence-based clinical practice. And then we have infectious disease lectures, and then we have pathology and like clinical microbiology lectures. And they all disagree with each other on oh, antibiotic yeah. use. So our pathologist yesterday said, <laughs> if someone has strep throat, no matter what, give them an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. Our infectious disease doctor said, only give them an antibiotic if their culture comes back positive or they're like blatantly sick. Mm. Evidence-based medicine says, Never give a seemingly healthy person with acute pharyngitis an antibiotic because the number needed to treat to prevent rheumatic fever is like 5 million, but the number needed to harm by giving an antibiotic is like 15. The number, what number? Number needed to treat. It's like how many people do you have to give an antibiotic to successfully prevent the bad outcome, which in this case would be... The spread um, of rheumatic fever. Rheumatic fever. Rheumatic oh, okay. fever. So that's like the feared complication. And there were studies in like the 50s or 60s that were like, you get rheumatic fever if you don't treat properly, that kind of stuff. So they said give antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Then there were studies done in the 70s and 80s that showed no difference if you gave a placebo versus an antibiotic in rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease rates. So, it- But then you also have the parent... You know, yeah. you have all these things and then you have the parent who's yelling at you or like potentially right. the the lawyer who's suing you later right. when you didn't give that antibiotic. Yeah. Well, then you get those is, surveys that come back and your patients are unsatisfied with your care because yeah. you didn't give them the antibiotic. And then administration is like barking at you to like increase your numbers and a lot of external pressures to provide treatment right. that may or may not be efficacious. Is this our future? It might be. <laughs> well, what's interesting, I thought what was interesting about this whole, the focus of this this article was that. It was more about, it was less about doctors prescribing habits and more about this mechanism from environmental. Well, have you seen that video? They have, they have, oh, what is it? It's like a table full of basically antibiotics, maybe like Mm -hmm. at different concentrations. And they put, I don't even remember it is, maybe it is like a staph aureus in the corner and staph aureus is killed by this antibiotic right Mm -hmm. but then it's just like a time-lapse video and you see as the staph aureus replicates it's acquiring antibiotic resistance and it's just spreading across the entire table and it is it takes terrifying yeah it's gross to look at but also it takes like no time for it to get to the highest concentration and then that and then like going back to what you're saying we're boned Mm. yeah would it be fair to kind of suggest that antibiotics are usually good in the short, like the very short term, like for this immediate 
relief, but long term, it's typically you know you're just gonna have more resistant bugs. I think it. I obviously don't have the expertise to say that, but I would be very uncomfortable, either. you know, saying like. I mean, without antibiotics, people yeah. would die. Right. Yeah. So and I the, don't think we've been using it pretty like for a lot of cases, it has done wonders. Right. I think there's just kind of like a trend that we and need I, to curb. And I think from that article, it's pretty clear whether or not you prescribe like those things were mutating before mm-hmm. you even well and isn't like the ampicillin and penicillin that's like it was a protein secreted by like fungi right like this is like yeah, microscopic so. warfare yeah. that's been going on long before we have been you know even invented medicine yeah so it ma- kind of makes sense that bacteria would develop these defensive mechanisms compounded by us over prescribing yeah right. yeah we only exacerbate it <laughs> Dave, this is just another example of a problem that uh, millennials are just going to have to fix. You know? <laughs> hey, man. that's There's got to be somebody out there. <laughs> that's, why, that's what my generation is responsible for, basically. You screw it you up guys. and we fix it. That's right. I mean, but we complain about it on our blogs first. Oh, we complain. Yeah, we'll we fix complain. it. Yeah. Snapchat. We will complain. <laughs> good, good. Glad I could help. <laughs> you give us purpose. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Keeping us busy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Modern life. Ah, modern life. <laughs> Cell phones, Teslas, Facebook. Teslas. Who has a Tesla? Uh, there are several people with Teslas because our Hy-Vee has a Tesla charging station. Yeah. Just oh, because God. they build Which the one? pumps doesn't mean that there's the a Corville Tesla. I've seen yes, one there. I've seen if you build the pumps, you've seen come. one. It's like the same one each time. No, no, I've seen at least two or yeah. three there. People oh, have Teslas. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I stand Hashtag by. rich people of Iowa yeah. City. Yes. <laughs> Doctors. Um... <laughs> How about, uh, here's another sign of modern life. Average citizens preparing for emergency medical treatment after mass shootings. Uh, hey, I uh, can't believe, yeah, that's a yay. thing. But if we're not going to fix the source of the problem, then obviously that's probably What's what you're going to What's the source do. of the problem? <laughs> Is it mental health? There Is are it... too, well, I think, quite honestly, there are too many guns in this country and too much, too much access to guns that. Per 100 persons. Yeah. There's enough guns. Dave, for you just everyone. triggered a bunch of people right now. I have a brother who's a defense attorney and he's very like pro uh, amendments. And so we've had, I've had this pro amendment. Yeah, you know, obviously the Second Amendment. You know. he's, he's pro Second Amendment. He's pro, 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 pro amendment. I mean, because I would argue that some of the other amendments are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. I like some of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all, I mean, they all had a good purpose back in the day, but I honestly do think that. Um, Technology's gotten to the point where these guns are, you know, they can inflict yeah. crazy well, damage. Whereas back in the day, it was like a mullet. You have to like, not a mullet. Musket? Musket. Musket. Is not a, a mullet. Not a you mullet. take the mullet the out from the back of your head and you shine your I've gun with I've seen some pretty <laughs> deadly looking mullets. So, uh. What kind of history books have you been yeah, reading? Right. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, like the rate of fires like, yeah. increased exp- like, exponentially. And then you have. Like the whole semi-automatic versus automatic debate, but then you have these bump stocks, which increase the firing rate to 300 rounds per minute, which is absolutely yeah. ludicrous. So I said this thinking that this was a good argument, and he came back with, well, the whole point of the Second Amendment is that if the army ever, like if our military gets to the point where they're doing horrible things, citizens need to be able right. to go up in arms, and all, if, if all we have are single-shot rifles, the military is going to, it won't be a close thing. That's kind of what he was getting at. Which I get, but I, I feel I, like people think that they're going to be competent. Haven't in a we already fight. done horrible right. things? 
where were well, the Second yeah, Amendment fair. people yeah, there? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. In need, that, was over, that was overseas. In that was overseas. Anywho, back to um, the actual topic. <laughs> I mean, I don't even need to say this now, but the Gun Violence Archives website says that there have been 323 mass shootings this year. Uh, mass shootings being defined as uh, four more people injured. Is it? Yeah. I think there was one yesterday at a school, right? Uh, Virginia, uh, Georgia Public Schools. Literally, I think there was. So in, res- in reaction to all of this, uh, public schools like those in Georgia are acquiring so-called stop-the-bleed kits so that in the event of a mass shooting, they'll be able to treat shot-up victims while they wait for EMS to uh, That's get there. That's uh, you know, heartbreaking. Forty members of Congress last year were trained in uh, bleeding control techniques. Um, and we've learned a lot about emergency response to mass casualties, things like, you know, teach people how to apply a tourniquet. Don't wait for ambulances, but after getting that tourniquet on, get victims to hospitals as quickly as possible. Um, 70,000 Americans have taken these stop the bleed courses. So I think it's getting kind of crazy. It's but like, scary. I remember I was reading an article where a guy has like a contract with an elementary school to provide ceramic plates for children's backpacks yeah, that they can use yeah, as like yeah. a barrier. That is so heartbreaking. Yeah. It's like they, we're selling ceramic plates, the so things used by our military to kindergartners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a survey of a thousand people, eighty-two percent were interested in taking the course. So, people, people thinking about these sorts of things. I, Hell, just, I would take the course if it was offered because I think this problem is going to continue. So yeah. why not? Well, I guess brush up on your tourniquet putting on skills, mm. yeah. which actually sounds pretty easy. I <laughs> just tie something around yeah. your arm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How hard could it be? As long as you know, in your limbs, I suppose. It's a chest wound. Good luck. Well, just put it around their chest and just squeeze really tight, right? Just yeah. give them a big old hug. Yeah, yeah right. Should work. Uh, here's another thing I thought was interesting. Uh, the Atlantic has a story on the debate over whether patients under general anesthesia might have some awareness and feel uh, pain. So. I hope this isn't another one of those things where I do throw a lot of facts at you. But this is, see, this is why uh, science reporting is so bad because people are like, oh, so many facts. Yeah, right. Anyway, in the early 90s, an anesthetist or an anesthesiologist in the UK did a really basic study on how, on, on the new at the time, low dose anesthetic cocktails. Um, before patients were put under, he put an inflatable cuff on their forearm. Do you guys know about this? I mean, I, th- I get the feeling this is a common practice, so listen, listen to this. Before patients are put under, he put a, an inflatable cuff on their forearm to prevent the flow of blood and muscle relaxants to the hands, or the right hand. Once the women were unconscious, he put headphones on them and played a one-minute loop of tape. Uh, the looped audio was of the doctor saying the patient's name twice, and then, this is Dr. Russell speaking. If you can hear me, I would like you to open and close the fingers of your right hand. Open and close the fingers of your right hand. Okay. Pretty sure that's how he sounded. Yeah, that sounds good. If they, <laughs> if they showed any signs of movement in the hand, he would hold their hands and raise one of the earpieces and say the uh, patient's name again and say, if you can hear me, squeeze my fingers. Okay. If the woman responded, he then asked them to let him know if they were feeling pain by squeezing his fingers again. By the time he had tested 32 women, 23 had squeezed his hand when asked if they could hear. 20 of them indicated they were in pain. And at this point, he stopped the study because, you know... People were in pain. People were in pain. Um, Although I'm not quite sure what his experiment had to do with the 
pain because they were having surgery anyway. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say that. Why would he even stop? Because it's not like he's the intervention is not also, less pain. If he's pumping up a blood pressure cuff on their forearm enough to cut off blood supply, that's going to hurt. Maybe, maybe they were in pain from that. Yeah, I feel like that's a... It might be an issue with his methodology. Yeah. Well, I, I get the feeling that this was and maybe still is used as a way to gauge um, the depth of anesthesia. But I, I wondered if you guys had heard of that before, if I was completely wrong. Well, but also, don't they keep people... This is kind of confusing because when they do brain surgery, don't they keep people awake right. so they know... Like if they're hitting the wrong place, so right. don't you think those people would also be? Although I guess maybe your brain doesn't have no. Yeah, but you though. still have to cut open their but head. But you would do local anesthetics. Yeah, the, I suppose that's true. The um, well, the conclusion that he came to. Well, it, also important, he interviewed them later. None of them could remember anything. Yeah. But three days later, a couple of them could remember that they'd been asked to do something with their right hands right. and when they said that he saw them doing this sort of unconsciously so okay. um, he concluded that if those results were valid the state of mind produced by these low dose anesthetic con cocktails wasn't general anesthesia but in fact amnesia i mean i guess Isn't that, that like kind of makes sense i was gonna say i think yeah. we learned that some of the medications are not really like supposed to take away the pain they're supposed to disassociate you from your being during the procedure so you don't remember ah. the pain okay type thing i mean they still like give you pain medication so you're not like right. miserable during the surgery but right it's a big thing to and this is why they remember. use multiple drugs during anesthesia generally yeah. you get you know you get the muscle relaxing you get the yeah the what do they what do they call those uh, medicines that make you dissociated they're well dis dissociative drugs i don't know sure yeah um and then they give you sort of general you know go to sleepy sleepy time medication yeah. and pain medication stuff like that i just think anesthesia must be really hard uh as a job i don't know i don't have yeah. that rotation mm. i asked you for it but bit, i didn't oh, get it she's like she's like, <laughs> like a little hey, bitter yeah. <laughs> I, guess. I guess i'll never know i guess I would who know, got me. it yeah so God. I'll report back next He's literally so rude. November and tell you what I learned in my two weeks in anesthesia. Next November. So yeah. hold so on, bookmark yeah. this podcast. Yep. Don't delete it. Yep. Oh. Set an alarm on your iPhone. I would say, so this is, you alluded to like a tinfoil hat thing. Okay. I'm about to get weird. What does okay. that mean? Like aliens. Yeah, oh, okay. No. Okay. So I think this sort of data could be used eventually to kind of uh, maybe f get forced coercion out of people. So like, squeeze my hand if Michael was the informant or whatever. You know, oh. that kind of thing. Like, oh. what wow. do you know? Wow. And then they're kind of under anesthetics. So you play the one minute loop of the question. Yeah. I don't know how you do That's... it, but this seems like this... These results seem like that could be on the horizon. I'm going to use this on my charger. I'm pretty sure every defense attorney is going to be like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to like, uh, well, get off the under... OR cart go yeah. use it right. on my children. <laughs> but if you go to a place like Guantanamo Bay where you can... Or they have no rights. Yeah, yeah basically, yeah. Um, Shit's getting political. Yeah, well, <laughs> we've already been there, this show. Hey, let's go, let's go back to Ayurvedic medicine for a minute. Let's okay. Let's okay, circle, full circle it. Let's circle back. Uh, it's time for me to put on my fictional medical educator hat. And give you a pop quiz. Oh God! Oh my God! Chris's early handle this anxiety. Chris's earlier question about Ayurvedic medicine got me wondering how much you guys might know about this ancient form of medicine that a bunch of people in this world 
seem to enjoy. Okay. Um, these are multiple choice questions. Is it okay. essential oils? I cannot handle essential. Don't essential oils. Girl, you need to calm down. <laughs> there are so many people from my high school who are now into essential oils. Do and they I sell them? They're posting about it. it oh, yeah. No. Let, me, let me tell you about this project. It's called It Works. Um, it does not work. <laughs> it is saran wrap. What is it? What? There's it's, this thing. Well, go no, ahead, you Pat. go ahead. I've. It's I called can't. It Works, and it is a pyramid scheme. And you wrap your body in saran wrap, and then you sweat, and you lose weight. Oh. So to go it back, works. To go back to an earlier point, see, this is the problem with, like, alternative forms of medicine. We immediately associate it with, like, these Pyramid crappy schemes. ass scams. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, we have this alternative form. Is it, it works, and then, you know, flip a table and storm <laughs> out the room. Like, right. just, just to end, like, finish this on a more positive note in essential oils, I did have a patient before medical school who didn't want any anti-nausea medications for some reason i didn't okay. ask why so she used peppermint oil okay and Aww. she had like little peppermint oil cotton ball things soaked and whenever she got nauseous she'd smell them because she swore it took away her nausea mm-hmm. she had less nausea after her like multiple surgeries than our patients who were on actual like medical anti-nausea medications. Didn't well, we hear something about peppermint oil yeah. recently? So there are some valid things, just you know, to counteract okay. Elizabeth's anti everything. I mean, I <laughs> like a good candle. Let me tell you, I am there. I like the smells. She but we're talking about aromatherapy. At <laughs> she likes point. to walk know, into the just, Yankee candle. And yeah. No, not Yankee candle. Honestly, Revival has a wonderful Fraser fur candle. Not a sponsor. Sh- yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. Not, I wish it were sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> but they just have a great... Call us Revival. <laughs> Literally, give me a discount code. I am there. Ready to buy all your Fraser fur candles. So out. <laughs> oh. Anywho. <laughs> Well, I that, just don't like pyramid <laughs> schemes, okay? Okay. Back to the point. These are, as I say, these are multiple choice questions. Maybe we can all learn something today. Maybe not. Um, according to the NIH National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, the word Ayurvedic comes from the Sanskrit, Sanskrit words Ayur, or life, and Veda for... Father. A, herbs, B, science... C forces lost track of my alphabet there. <laughs> C forces or D bullshit. Oh, oh I D. don't think it's D. Okay. Oh. Well, I'm gonna say C. I was inclined to say C as well. I like the herbals one, life life herbs. Just okay. because Star Wars is coming out of like C. Uh, forces. Okay. Uh, no, the answer is science or knowledge. Oh. Life. Oh. See, we. Oh. God, we suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your bias is showing. Yes, yes. At least we didn't say D. <laughs> <laughs> I did not intend that, although I did anticipate a reaction. did not intend that to be a commentary on it. You know, I just figured I will go for the easy, <laughs> Moving on. Go for, go for the easy laugh. Um, all right. Next question. A preliminary clinical trial in 2011, funded in part by the uh, National Center for Complementary whatever I said before, and integrative health, tested methotrexate and an Ayurvedic treatment of 40 herbal compounds as treatments for rheumatoid arthritis. The conclusion was that conventional and Ayurvedic treatments were A, not equally effective, with Ayurvedic treatment being more effective, B, equally effective, or C, not equally effective, with methotrexate being more effective. I'm so nervous for this answer. Right. I think the fact that you're asking this question probably isn't good for western medicine are you 
So in favor. Are you of trying maybe? to game the? I'm trying. Well, I'm just trying to get inside. Yeah. Game the quiz. Trying to get inside the test maker's mind. You hmm. know. Right. Okay. So we survive. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, for to the benefit of our earlier questioner, C. I'm gonna go with A. I'm gonna, gonna say go equally. I, I like B. Yeah. We're all over the map. Well, Gabe and Derek are correct. Yeah. Equally oh effective. Oh my goodness. Um, methotrexate and the 40 herbal compounds sounds like a lot no i will but, say you know. like of the 40 herbal herbs in that compound like which one actually like provided yeah because yeah. like that's i think that's one of the problems is like you have all these sayings like and like confound it what do they mean effective how bad was the patient's rheumatoid arthritis pain pain, pain. just like pain methotrexate is a uh, I'm gonna, not a pain immunosuppressant. I'm going to guess an anti or it means it's immune, immunosuppressant yeah. so maybe has yeah. anti-inflammatory effects because it suppresses the immune system I don't know I, I could be wrong just because I don't remember all of rheumatology but That's I weird. think it has to do with suppressing the immune system to prevent exacerbations of the disease which mm. cause pain okay um, well I don't know the answer to your question because I am neither a doctor or a Ayurvedic <laughs> medicine practitioner. Next question. This subject associated with Christmas has shown evidence of anti-inflammatory and immune system effects in laboratory studies. Uh, let's see. A, frankincense. B, mistletoe. Hmm. C, sugar. Or D, terpenes. I have terpenes. No... Oh, oh, wow. I know mistletoe is poison. Is mm. it? From personal experience, Pat? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's just one of those things that, like, you Google when you're like, what is this berry? Like, can I eat it? Then, you know, if you can, then you do. But um, if you're dead, you can't get inflamed. Yes, so, right. It's that's true. true. Um, it's a good point. What was the last one? I have never uh, heard of that. Terpenes. terpenes. Those are in oranges, right? And fruits? Yeah. yeah. Christmas, I like that one. Christmas then. trees, too, which mm. is why it's in here. Okay. And then I'm just going to go with terpenes. Because yeah, those smell good then. I mean, frankincense. All y'all are followers. Yeah, yeah. Good, I have nothing to stand on. A so. lot of terpenes here. All right. Uh, the answer is frankincense. <laughs> um, this is what I get for believing <laughs> you. I just said it with such conviction. You did. That you know, that's half the battle, though. She was like, terpenes. <laughs> Osteoarthritis patients receiving a compound derived from B. serrata gum resin. That's B. serrata is the frankincense plant okay. uh, had greater decreases in pain compared to patients receiving a placebo uh, mistletoe by the way let's go through the other ones because I thought the, some of them were interesting until recently uh, until recent studies were published the American mistletoe genus for foradendri foradendrin <laughs> was widely considered to be extremely poisonous swallowing American mistletoe can cause symptoms such as, such as gastrointestinal upset but is not likely to cause serious poison if poisoning if small amounts are unintentionally swallowed. So I was right. Um, it is a poison. It, yeah, but not a deadly poison. It'll make you... Did I say deadly? It'll make you feel like crap. Did I say <laughs> I don't know if I said deadly. Don't be putting words in my mouth. Uh, sugar... Play back the tape. <laughs> yeah. Play, Play back, back the tape. Sugar, of course, is known for uh, some anti-inflammatory... for an having inflammatory effects... Um, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition says the processed sugars trigger the release of cytokines. Which is honestly heartbreaking. Yeah. As you have this, like, tray of cookies in front <laughs> yeah. of us. Yeah. Have some infla inflammation cookies. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. How yeah. could I resist? <laughs> uh, and terpenes, uh, which uh, by the Education in Chemistry uh, website says, terpenes are the chemicals 
that give tr Christmas trees their inviting pine scent, and they could soon find widespread use as a replacement for crude oil because they are hydrocarbons. Mm. Definitely did a whole chemistry lab about terpenes. Yeah, organic uh -huh. chemistry. Yes. Yeah, okay. I remember. Terpenes sound really cool. They can replace a lot of the things that we. So we're yeah. just going to cut down forests for this? Wow. Or, oh my it, God, Pat, straight to the negativity. Yeah. No, I'm wondering how we're at, like, logistics, please. Isn't it in, like, orange peels and stuff it's like that? It's in orange peels for sure. Okay. So take the compost. So we just oh my God, look oranges? how good that is for the environment. You're taking compost. Right. And making it into whatever you said. Terpenes. Oh, wait, crude oil. Oh, crude, oil. <laughs> crude oil replacement. Way, way to participate, Elizabeth. <laughs> gas stations would smell much better. I, yeah, they would. Well, I like the smell of gasoline. <laughs> I really do. I, I, as I've said before on the show, I used to also be a bus driver and, oh. and, a, and a bus trainer, and, and I also like the smell of diesel. It's do you also blood. just like turn on your gas stove and have it that's fragrance a, up your kitchen? <laughs> that's a different uh, smell. On a, <laughs> <laughs> on a bad day. a bad day. <laughs> okay, let's do another question. How many states in the U.S. license Ayurvedic practitioners? Is the answer zero? Is the answer one? Or is the answer 30? What do you mean by oh license? Like they're licensed as to in, see patients? As in the same sort of licenses that states uh, issue. Could be anything. Uh, let's say it could be anything from like, you know, hairdressers to I'm doctors. I guess 30. 30, yeah. Uh, I was going to I'm going to shoot for 30. I'm going to say like just California, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. I could see California doing that. Yeah. Right. I wish there was a number between 2 and 30 that I could choose. Yeah. But it wouldn't be right, obviously. Uh, Derek, did you weigh in on that? I said yeah. 30. 30? Yeah. No, the answer is zero. Oh. Um, okay. Wow. I was tricked by that question. Yeah, see? I'd be, like, a, I'd be a good question writer, right? <laughs> you stay away is, from is us, that the, Dave. Is that the goal of question writers is to trick your asses? <laughs> 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 to ruin our lives. <laughs> I'll never look at a multiple choice question the same. So. Uh, did you guys ever watch the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar: The Last Airbender? Oh, you bet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that. You, you should watch it. I never did. Well, Fire Kingdom. Just, just stay away from the uh, M, <laughs> M Night Shyamalan movie. I'm gonna. Let's see. I think. Uh, I, I think. Yeah. Patrick would probably be Fire Nation. I think. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I get that a lot. Uh, I don't know about. It's kind of hard to it's it's kind of hard to dissociate myself from some of the from from some of the images from the last Airbender because I'm thinking you know you've got very short hair you know you'd probably I said do you be, want me to paint an arrow you'd on probably be Aang yeah. you know you might what be Katara because just because you're female but you're also <laughs> so who gets to be Mappa or whatever female. that giant flying and 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 you would be Appa. Okay. So <laughs> is that good? I don't know. It's a, you know you're you are, like a you are essential to the story. You're hey, my trusty you steed. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Everyone can depend on you to be there right when you're needed. He was a giant flying um what would you call it? like, like a, a bison. like a bison <laughs> with a beaver with tail several arms. <laughs> So he's pretty know. cool, yeah. though. He's that pretty badass. Yeah. I'll take that. You've got yeah. that. All right. Well, in the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender, the nations of the world were divided into four, each with a distinct society with select people known as benders <laughs> who could control one of the four elements with their wills. Which of these four is not an element associated with Ayurvedic principles? Air, earth, fire, or water? Hmm. I'm going to go with fire. I think fire is... Yeah. Why, why, do, you, why do you think that? Because, like, okay, so air, 
Ayurvedic is associated with life. It's, uh-huh. in, it's in the name. Yeah. So that's kind of a gimme. Um, water and earth, like you need the earth provides the herbs. herbs yeah. The water is, you know, a, a central component of any living organism. Yeah, okay. Good. That we know of anyway. Yeah. Um, and then fire just, you know, is usually associated with destruction. Yeah. yeah. Well, what about you guys back there? I'm going to say earth. Okay. I agree with the fire. You're taking an L on that Ain't nobody need the dirt. Fire just doesn't seem like a a pleasing thing to treat your patients with. But it's warm. Which I don't know why I'm countering my own point. (laughs) But it's warm. But it's warm. (laughs) I mean, look at California. Maybe not so much. Yeah. Uh, The answer is earth. Oh, Elizabeth was right for once. No, that doesn't make sense, Dave. All y'all better take a walk. (laughs) Air or vata, vata. Characterized by properties of dry, cold, light, yes. uh, and movement. Uh, all movement in the body is due to the property of vata. Mm-hmm. Pain is the characteristic feature of deranged vata. Mm-hmm. Some of the diseases due to vata is... <laughs> <laughs> Say it one more time. Please. Windy humor, flatulence, gout, rheumatism, things like that. Ah. Mm-hmm. Some, Some people have a lot of vata, it would seem. Yeah. Let's ask, talk about fire. Why ask is my fire children. wrong? Yeah, okay. uh, fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or pita is associated with bile secreted between the stomach and bowels and flowing through the liver and permeating the spleen, uh, heart, eyes, and skin. It's characterized by hotness, moist, liquid, sharp, and sour, and its chief quality is heat. It is the energy principle which uses bile to direct, to direct digestion and enhance metabolism. It is primarily characterized by body heat or burning sensation and redness. See, honestly, that's what I was thinking. That's why I didn't choose it. Mm, you, really? <laughs> I ought to slap you. Really? <laughs> abuse, Roll back the tape and abuse. let's hear her actually say that. The listener will be the judge. Yeah. They, Wa- can, they can rewind. Water, or kapha, is characterized by heaviness, cold, tenderness, softness, slowness, lubrication, and the carrier of nutrients. It is the nourishing element of the body. All the soft organs are made by kapha. It plays an important role in taste, joint nourishment, and lubrication. Oh. All of that is actually... I like it. Sort of true, right? Yeah. We need the water. So, uh, I think we've all learned something, haven't we? I learned something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we in no way meant to make fun of people who, or I in no way meant to make fun of, except for that bullshit thing. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of rude, but I didn't mean <laughs> to make fun of people by doing that. Um, but, uh, hey, if I did, I apologize. Sue me. And that is our show. <laughs> Send us your <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, don't sue us. <laughs> and that is our show. I think we all learned something. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. And thank you listeners for making us a part of your week. If you like what you heard today. Leave us a review on iTunes, just like Roch MN did recently. Thank you, Roch MN. That is your real name. It really helps us uh, with the show. Uh, you can talk to us uh, about just about anything you like in our Facebook group, the Short Coats Student Lounge. And you can always send your thoughts, questions, and comments to the shortcoats at gmail.com or leave us a message at 347-SHORT-CT. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine student government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox. And our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Thank you.